So I'd like to talk a bit about the, uh, more about what's involved or what comes up, what's potential in mindfulness of breathing. And uh, hopefully the language will give one a more uh, exact and more comfortable way of handling and relating to this uh, practice, central practice established by the Buddha, recommended by the Buddha. Uh, but first of all, I have to ask your attention just to go through some language notes because language is extremely slippery stuff. Yeah. And so first of all, uh, you know, breathing is not breathing, body is not body, mindfulness is not mindfulness. <coughs> well, it is and it isn't, it's just that we, sometimes we kind of understand, but we don't really deeply get what is, what is meant, what is signified by these. Uh, and certainly detachment is not detachment. Absolutely, yeah. And attention and awareness. Uh, all these um, language pieces that we may very well bring up as we're thinking, reviewing, explaining, teaching, uh, that uh, try to convey meanings. Mm. And remember, all language is a translation of experience. Yeah, the Buddha, Buddha experienced and translated that into words, concepts of that time, yeah, which is 2,500 years ago in a different culture. And now we're translating those words into another language, which comes from a different basis, um, has its own strengths and its own limitations. Mm. So, let's go back to what are these experiences? Say, with uh, I was talking yesterday about <clears throat> a pomada being heedful, being attentive, being diligent, being vigilant, whatever. And this moment when we pause, open, what's happening now? It's called, another way to express this is sometimes people use the term open awareness. You just open awareness and you're attentive. There's no particular specific object. That's its sort of quality. That has a certain advantage to it because we come off track, we come off program. And really what's, it, what's important now? You know, That question hovers in there and you just pick up the theme what's affecting what's pushing what's coaxing what's hanging back what's under the message sometimes we don't unpack the message it's like we look at the label and we don't actually investigate what's inside that you know what's you know we get we look at a conceptual label and we don't necessarily get the full feeling of it. Or things that don't have labels, we don't notice. Yeah. And quite a lot of experience 
actually as you as you deepen you don't have they don't have precise labels they're just this sort of squidgy oozy sensing of some (laughs) 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 and they want to interpret it as something going wrong something going wrong because i haven't got a label for it (laughs) and there's that sort of anxiety and uncertainty because actually quite a lot of things don't have labels certainly don't have labels in english language So a pomada, just that moment when we pause, come off topic, come off theme, how is this? There's a beauty in that because it does create a certain sense of light, openness. It's quite restful. You can even kind of dwell in that and pick up the sign, the quality of space or silence in that. It's quite beautiful. And yet, there's also attention which means which is topic specific says so focus here frame this up point this way <clears throat> and when that attention comes preceded by um, uh, open awareness or vigilance or, or uh, however you want to put it then maybe we know we start to select attention rather than attention just grabbed by something because we've come off program, we've come out of topic, now instead of running down the familiar tracks, we oh, this, let's frame that up. Hmm? And, and why? There's something about the specific qualities of phenomena that has to be handled and transmuted and reset. Karma has to be worked out, or the karmic patterns have to be understood and reset. Now, a a kind of appropriate attention is, uh, in a way, coming into specific, specific qualities of experience. And often this specific quality is, seems personal. The things that are bothering or exciting or interesting or confusing me at this time. It seems quite personal. You may feel personal, you know, is not what it's about. But personal (laughs) is certainly our skin. And we all have that. Now, if you just just keep doodling over the skin, certainly this is... uh, uh, um, not getting to the point, but to to the skin does tell you what where to go, head into this, what's beneath this one, and we begin to sense within the personal uh, movement uh, uh, of, of the mind, there are underlying tones of say insecurity or enjoyment or eagerness or withdrawal or tentative or impulsive and these are really transpersonal the the, the chitta speaks through the person persona literally means a mask that an actor would use in in greek theater they hold up the mask and they speak through it persona sona is sounding we sound through 
and the persona, the personality is the mask, the necessary mask, you have got to have some skin that the chitta speaks through. Now we can of course just get caught in the configurations of that particular mask uh, without necessarily sensing what's coming through it. So this is the skill of deep attention, what's really in this? And then once we come into that mindfulness, how does this frame, how how do we bear this in mind, how is this quality affecting how am I referring to it? And now, interesting enough, uh, mindfulness of breathing, you're actually referring that to to breathing, which may seem a completely different topic, but actually breathing is not breathing. It's not what we imagine breathing to be. Mm-hmm. Breathing is, uh, and to frame that again, there's no instruction on watching the breath, for example, in, in the scriptures. That's a language form that has its uh, simple, but it's not quite accurate. To be mindful of process. Breathing is a process, not a particular thing. Um, there isn't even an instruction to, to focus on any particular point. So it's really not so much object-specific. You know, in other words, we're not looking at, at framing a particular finite object so much as an object as a wave process that you surf on. If you could, like, So certainly there's balance, certainly there's tension, certainly there's poise, certainly you need to really be with it. But what you're with is actually something that has a changing, flowing nature. And this is what we call uh, energy. What makes it move? How come it's moving? Because it's dynamic. How come it's dynamic? Because there's an energy that, that operates that, right? Yeah. Now that breathing in, breathing out, that repeated energy tide, and what generates that? That is very significant. This is called Kaya Sankara. Mm. And so this word Sankara, Kaya body, and you have basically three uh, ways in which Sankara manifests for a human being. One is the bodily Sankara, which is the, the dynamic process that floods the body, that fills the body, that keeps it going, which is called breathing in, breathing out. You have citta sankara, which is a dynamic process which feeds, informs the citta, which is means it's the quality of feeling and perception. The citta is, in, and then from that it gives forth intentions. So perception means something means something to me. How come it means something? Yeah, when you look at a bell, how come it's a bell, not just a? Huh? because there's some signifying going on. That signifying is a jitta experience. The eyes don't tell you what it is, uh, but the jitta immediately gets that. Or, it, so it's referring to perception. And with perception, there is some kind of resonance, of uh, often of not much consequence at all, just a uh-huh. Now, of course, some perceptions have a lot more resonance in them. Other human beings can carry 
you know, in general, can carry a lot more resonance than a lampshade or a you know, car, you know. <clears throat> you know, there's sort, sorts of resonances in there. Potential. Are they pleasant? Are they enjoyable? Are they threatening? Are they someone I have to give more attention to? Is it someone I recognize as friend, as enemy, as indifferent? As, how does that happen? All that's jitter. Yeah, that's significant, isn't it? You know, we're steering around that. We cannot say this is just a side issue. <laughs> so perception and the feeling, which is the quality of agreeable or disagreeable. These may be profound or subtle. And sometimes the, the persona, the personality masks that uh, as perhaps irrelevant or not even really getting it. So uh, the question that one poses is, if this experience continues, would that be something I look forward to or would rather like it not to continue? If I'd like it not to continue, this means it's disagreeable. If I'd like it to continue, this means it's agreeable. It's pleasant and unpleasant. But very often we are kind of with experiences. If we don't find that agreeable, we just put up with it because we suppose so we don't even really recognize it's it's disagreeable. We just sit there and space out. Because the disagreeable, you know, if after a while, you know, you might don't want to be with that, so your mind just zones out. Disagreeable. The mind zones out. So when then when it zones out, it goes into abstract. Essentially, we don't know whether that feeling was agreeable or disagreeable because we just left it. We've gone into this familiar little, um, you know, track in our in our conceptual system. I stay today, and you know, bumbling along, and generally bumbling along either because it's the most familiar track to bumble along. Here we go again, or it's a little fantasy which has got some bit more pleasure in it than than this (laughs) you know when you're sitting in class and you're looking out the window teachers droning on about history and you think nice day out there play football something (laughs) so the fantasy and we don't stop doing that yeah so because the the, so the the quality of but the, the sense of the disagreeable that you moved away from we don't really notice it's disagreeable because we've moved away from it and so part of the process of mindfulness is just to stay with that this the disagreeable or that which is not gratifying and there's a sense of increasing uh, sensitivity and the quality of being with without engaging becomes agreeable I feel calm I feel spacious I feel steady with things that are not that fascinating but I feel my sense of steadiness and groundedness with that this is agreeable so you see now this this ability to do that this is what viveka means and this is where we get detachment or Really, uh, the much more helpful word was uh, Venerable Tanisaro's translation, withdrawal, because it's like a certain shifting back. 
and the sense of being able to just shift back, stay with that, but actually just stand back from the immediate, frame it up, and so we're not reacting. Uh So instead of going into what's called unskillful states, and and the unskillful state, you know, is both actually directly, you know, negative reaction, you know, violence or passion or something like that. But also a very common unskillful state is just to go into abstract. Because there's no, doesn't go anywhere useful. It's not directly immoral, but it's actually not dealing with the topic. And so we, we kick the can down the road, if you like. And... Uh, and and so the result of this process of this uh, zoning out um, means we actually lose a huge chunk of our lives and we don't really address karmic dispositions and we don't reset karmic dispositions we don't come to terms with anything we don't release we we space and it can seem like yeah this is nice uh, yeah, I'm, yeah i'm getting off the edge of that disagreeable feeling i'm becoming more detached well yes you are but is that is, is that good for you <laughs> because isn't really what was meant by viveka viveka doesn't mean detachment equals dissociation which is kind of a, a habit that we want to cut (laughs) dissociation means you go off off out of the feeling realm and you're going to abstract and it's kind of nice up there (laughs) you know and sometimes sometimes you just kind of go into this nothing state just uh, little thoughts dribble through it's quite where have I been? I don't know where I've been for the last three minutes or five minutes. or. But there's no particular impact, so it felt kind of pleasant. Uh, so this, this is a dissociative effect. And you should be watchful of that. Not vindictive, but just, what was that? Where did, where did that one, where did you jump from? Where did it slide away from? You know, sometimes it's just boring, you know. It's not intensely negative, just kind of bored with this stuff, uh, not getting much out of it. So go somewhere else. And that could be quite a bit of it. But essentially Viveka is just stepping back from these unskillful processes. So it doesn't exactly mean detachment and it saves us these peculiar um, tangles that sometimes Buddhists get themselves into. Should we be detached from the body? Should you develop detachment towards pain? If your mother's dying, should we be detached from it? Should you recommend she detach from it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> let go of the body, mum. You know, you dukkha anyway. She's kind of. <laughs> And or you just develop detaches another there's another body going down the tubes, never mind. That's the way they go. Is that really the most so should I do that? 
and I think people sometimes perhaps do that, but it's not what is in, what is recommended. A sense of withdrawal from panic, from fear, from desperately trying to make something happen that isn't happening, and in that sense of with, withdrawal, actually we're not leaving the chitta and zoning. We're actually staying with that, and then the res- greater resources of the jitta, which are perhaps less apparent, uh, are, are become available. We become serene, we become steady, we become grounded, and, un- and, and resources start manifesting almost spontaneously. The jitta has its own life and vi- vitality, and one of the qualities of realization experiences is you didn't do it it came to you and this actually is the truth of jitta it it comes to you now you know so you by you i mean the personal you know the one the doer the personal one and it's often the person person and karmically configured being yeah who we call my familiar self right? karmically configured with its particular inclinations skillful unskillful confused neck whatever you know and and particular qualities of resolve um skillfulness uh, facility or whatever you know and that you want to train that just to simplify through this process of deep attending and mindfulness, bearing in mind, and then the skills of like an inquiry, how is this? Stay with this, feel more deeply into the, the, the recommended topic. Take your time, you know, soothe, steady, train yourself. So the Buddha says one trains oneself in... Uh, Breathing in, breathing out. Now, actually, train yourself doesn't mean you have to learn how to breathe in and breathe out, but sometimes it does. You have to learn to allow and really uh, encourage this involuntary process, which can get blocked and obscured uh, and truncated, to encourage it to come to its natural length and strength. Someone trains oneself with that. So we think training is just, can it release more? Is there anything holding it back? Can it get steadier? Is there anything that is obstructive that can be let go of here? that, That I could, oh, just take a little more time or a little softer to allow that more complete itself. Partly because the breathing process is so instinctively and deeply connected to the emotional process, and the emotional process is is far wider than we normally would imagine emotion to be. So the word emotion is perhaps you know, a little bit too simplistic, but there are senses of emotional vacillation or emotional lack of allowing, certain resistance or fearfulness, which doesn't manifest as terror, but just a certain hesitancy 
Um, this is where we call these qualities of hindrance, right? Which you're familiar with. You've got the list of the five hindrances. And some of these, obviously, these, these can be very distinct and clear. Other times, they're much subtler. They're basic tendencies towards, say, ill will, like rankling, resisting, reluctance, you know, dismissiveness, can't be botheredness, it's not going to work, I can't do. What's the tonality of that? Yeah? This is negativity. And even negativity towards one's own embodiment. Yeah, it's not good enough. It's not adequate. I'm, I can't be here completely. There's something wrong with me. So this, some of this tendency is an inferred hostility. And again, these are strong terms. But something is not allowing one to fully, completely breathe it all the way out. We don't feel safe enough. Or something of this nature. Doesn't allow us to completely allow the breath to fully breathe in because the openness is a little bit scary and the releasing is just a little bit scary because at those moments one feels very open and unsheltered and don't know what to do because in the releasing is the ending of volition the ending of me doing it and this movement from the voluntary to the involuntary can be precarious. If I'm not doing it, it's not going to work. Well, the point of mindfulness of breathing is if you are doing it, it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. And to learn to undo, to allow, to be breathed. And all you're doing this is just to keep training yourself to notice the places where the controlling or the resisting or the trying to make it work happens step withdraw from that unskillful now you know what can be doing that is either an inferred negativity or a, a desire for more powerful stimulation sense desire or a kind of muddiness stagnant stagnation dullness or an overexcitement which is restless, jumpy, twitchy, can't stay there, um, or just downright um, uncertainty, havering, wavering, is it this, is it that, because it doesn't quite fit the label. Mm. Am I doing it right? Look at the book. Am I doing it right? Look at the label. Well, eventually you've got to... You've got to and that's the last hindrance because, you know, you're always going to be looking at labels until you get the fullness of the breathing in, breathing out, and then you know this is it because I feel steady, calm, grounded. I'm not trying to make it work. I'm not hanging back. Those resistances, those cravings, those energies have res completed. Ah. Oh forget the label you know you're now in in the stuff and there's a dropping of the 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 voluntary self to be much more 
the receptive, attuning, stewardship, discipleship. I'm following behind this, just noticing, noting what it's doing, being with what it's doing. There's a shift, you know, from the leader to the follower. And trains oneself. And just consider just the, the beauty of that, that sort of innocence and openness and trust. These things are not accomplished easily or immediately, but you start knowing how it has to go towards the gift, the givens. Otherwise, you know, it's going to be another work project, isn't it? With all that, that the grades and the, all that that carries. So, now, key term in this this word sankara again. Sorry, I did mention there were three, and I only mentioned two. Well, there's the bodily sankara, breathing in, breathing out. The jitta sankara, perception and feeling, which triggers impulse. And then the third is the Vajji Sankara, which is the ability to articulate an energy that articulates, verbalizes, creates concepts. And we have that. And we're actually training that to just moderate. You know, instead of waffling off, stay on topic and just keep tra- tra- tracking. Uh-huh, this is this, this is this, this is this. So the Vitaka Vichara, pointing, articulating, whether this is a conscious word, or at least the energy of getting it is applied. So vitaka vichara is that sense of as if one is reading. Whether actually it's breaking out into inner inner speech or not, this is a kind of moot point. Generally some kind of thought processes and inner speech occurs, but it's very terse, lean, and on topic. Every true conversation requires a good amount of silence to really get it. And by and large, you know, we will tend to over, feeling the more verbalization occurs, the more, you know, we're going to know. Hmm. Sankara is is dynamic, and again, it, it's one of those nigh on untranslatable words. In English, doesn't have it, as far as I could see. So, in um, in the chanting, we have this uh, term. I think it, it translates mental formations, which is shudderingly abstract <laughs> you think, Whoa, what's an endless form you know what's that even the sound latinate words formation so kind of like yeah <laughs> it's true but you don't necessarily get it it gives things form it forms so this forms speech this forms the sense of a body this forms uh, the sense of uh, how I feel, jitta sankara, how I, how I feel, how I'm being impacted. It certainly gives forms something, forms, but. Mm. 
Sankara forms, it's a forming program. Program that gives rise to form. And there's potency in that because whatever is formed, there will be another response to that. You know, that particular uh, mood that was formed, that particular emotional sense, that particular perception that was formed by seeing him or her, uh-huh. now that's going to give rise to another form of friendliness or negativity or apprehension. There's another one. And as that happens, then there's going to be some verbal form occurring around that. Like, oh, I wish I was, and how, what should I do now, and so on. So Sankaras just start running out. Hmm? You get it? So then this is called karma. This running out of Sankaras is the karmic process. And it fills us and it becomes us and it narrates us and it forms us. Mm. Into personhood with its ambiguities, put it that way. But it's uh, something we have to both acknowledge and penetrate. Because in a way, the, the end product of calm is the person. And the person, certain features of it, first of all, it's on its own. You know, you know it doesn't mean it's, it's it, it needs to become interpersonal to feel okay. It's on its own, it's not very happy at all. Mm-hmm. You may like solitude, but generally this means your personhood is involved with thoughts and nature or whatever you're doing. It's still involved with something. When I say relationship, I don't necessarily mean relationship with another human, but it needs to bond to something or the other. It feels lost. That's the nature of personhood. And certainly when you have had a strong interpersonal relationship you know, with another human, or even with a cat, as somebody mentioned, and that suddenly they die, wow, bam, you know, you feel really disoriented, grief comes up, swinging round, we, you know, it's a, it's a big hit, isn't it? And that's the, that's the destiny of the person. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing will become otherwise, become separated from me. Ouch, you know. Um... You know, saw my my little Mac computer go down the tubes the other week, and that was a bit of a ouch. But <laughs> fortunately, you know, <laughs> we weren't that we weren't that bonded. <laughs> but that's that's what happens, isn't it? You know, and the personal, and then well, okay, hmm. Are you supposed to say, you know, well? Computer, fair enough, but mother, not really, get another one? No, it's going to happen. So then naturally we have to handle that experience. That experience is very difficult to handle personally, in a way, and one of the qualities of death, dying, separation, is it challenges us, but actually, you know, it will take you to the transpersonal, 
it would take you to the place of blessing, release, compassion, forgiveness, gratitude. It would take you to a big heart. And you, you actually become stronger and more mature and more less petty and less and much more expansive through through handling personal the challenge of the person so the personal the transpersonal they do they do fit but the personal doesn't fit with the personal it's not adequate and certainly if you're in with personal relationships you also want to make sure that there's a transpersonal quality to that whereby one's able to you know um negotiate the the, the the difficulties of personhood, the, the limitations of it in a generous and loving way. Then it becomes as a transpersonal, which is really the, the, the real deal. Um, so the end product of Sankara, of karma, intimately, whether we affect anybody else or not, verbally, physically, just on a psychological level, it's the creation of the person. And so what we begin to uh, make possible through handling sankharas is from the personal tending back to the transpersonal, moving the other way, and where does this arising occur? Where does this movement occur? This dynamic, sankharas are dynamic. There's this movement into it. Yeah. And clearly one of, the, one of the strong movements we experience is the movement we call emotion, impulse. Impulse, emotion, intentionality, volition is a strong quality of sankhara. It's the, it's, the, it's the drive, the rush. Both gladness and anger. Both grief and, um, you know, compassion. It's the movement the shifting. Very important to handle this because it is such a, uh, a topic in our lives. It is the topic in our lives. In a way. So when we reset that, or able to reset that, instead of those Sankara creating the negative person or the defensive person or the anxious person or the domineering person or the, the afflicted person who then does things on other people and then this whole karmic mess starts you know ricocheting around the trans person can bring around the patient person the loving person the calm person the listening person the attentive person yeah whose presence is, is indeed a blessing for themselves and for others. We've cleared the negative karma. There's still the presentation which manifests in a personal form, as we'll recognize, you know, with beings who we respect and deeply admire, there's certainly somebody seems to be there. They're not just, you know, empty spaces. So it's the richness of that. And at the same time, we really handle and penetrate Sankara, the arising of that, there can be the stilling, the calming, and even the 
release of that. So there are two aspects. One is the healing aspect and one is the liberation aspect. And I would say, you know, we need generally to do a good amount of healing before the release can occur. Otherwise it just gets snarled up in dissociation. If you don't release, you dissociate. So if you don't, if there isn't the competence, the capacity, the willingness, the resources to touch, handle the sankara and release it, the only thing the jitta can do is dissociate, react or dissociate. So you have those options, release, react or dissociate. And generally most of us will probably have a certain amount of reactivity and at a certain point you dissociate. It's like, oh, no, I'm going somewhere else. Enough of this. You know, drop out. You know? And we, do, yeah, frankly, we do that quite a bit. And this is why, you know, coming back again and again and again and to that. Now, breathing is, is a very good uh, uh, anchor for Sankara because breathing, the Kaya Sankara, the Jitta Sankara, the Vajji Sankara are actually all, they're all Sankara, they're all in the same family. So where one goes, the others go. If you really handle that, and breathing is a way to handle it. Yeah. So, how is this? Because hmm? breathing is this... Uh, as we track sensation, as we come into the, the energies of breathing, like the releasing energy, the gathering energy, the brightening, and any particular language or impression that you have around that, as long as it's meaningful, as long as you get the sense of getting it. I'm getting it. Oh, yeah. This is, this is I'm not trying to get it. It's there. It's landing. It's, it's affecting this connection. This is the beginning of samadhi. So begins with just the mind actually stays and gets and deepens into. It begins there. Unification. That's that's the seed of it. So it could be the soft, the bright, the flowing, the warming, the sensation in the back of your throat. It could be a location. Wherever. So those all help to build that up. Could be the whole, and the Buddha recommended tracking the, the length so it's completely released. As it quietens down, it becomes shorter, calmer, less, and then feeling it flow through the entire body or the entirety of the body that you're experiencing. And it doesn't necessarily mean your fingernails or your earlobes. But it could, if that's what you experience. You, you, in other words, as you're experiencing body, you feel the fullness of that, of that those elements, those properties, that, that quality. And there's a tense of a subtle suffusion or vitality in that. This really embeds that kaya sankara. It becomes firm, which is another aspect of samadhi. It's firming and it's pleasant. So all those things, it's relevant, it's connected, it's firming, it's pleasant. So that the pleasure 
grounds the emotional capacity, the emotional potential, because their emotion will move towards pleasure. Mm-hmm. So that, in a way, helps to anchor the emotional volatility. We don't get so snappy or edgy or, or wavery or, or affected by ill will or affected by sense desire because we're actually in an agreeable abiding. So this begins to prune a lot of the unnecessary emotional jangle. Firmness means there's a sense of being able to handle emotional charge without dropping, without reacting, without splitting off. Oh, right, okay. You know, there's some resource there. So, in other words, the bodily sankara helps to embed and ground the citta sankara and quieten the fachi sankara, the articulation, because there's not a lot you have to figure out. So that becomes unnecessary and your knowing is much more direct and a feeling knowing. This is this is the, roughly speaking. This is the way that the Buddha tracked the process of anapanasati. There is more, but that's enough of that. Um, <clears throat> plenty of things to work with. So again, you know the relevance of it to be vacant, to withdraw from unskillful, unnecessary. States, either just they're downright unskillful, they're not relevant now. This is what retreat is about, it's a viveka experience, just to be able to park, to put on a shelf, other things, and a sense of, ah, that should be pleasant, (laughs) a relief. And then the firming up in terms of one's behavioral norms, skillfulness, sensitivity, respect, Ah, pleasant, because we feel sort of sense of clean, clear, peaceful, harmonious, pleasant. And then coming into the body, accessing the body as 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 it actually is in itself, knowing the body in the body. Not the visual body that we see, but the directly internally experienced body sensations and then presence elemental presences and within the elemental presences of the substance the fluidities you experience different qualities of of tone that are barely emotional but they are say pleasing or vacillating or pulling or you know they have they have a, a, a kind of a emotional or mental tone to them and you're looking to you breathe in and breathe out sending the charge or the slight steady current of soothing steadying patient breath energy through the felt body and the result is a unification of the body, mind, 
emotion, textures. Mm. This is unification, samadhi. So let's pause there for the moment. Um, just as a, you know, the sense of absorbing is important. It means there's a quality of appreciation and enjoyment is also very necessary for that. To take it fully in, taste it, feed on it. And this gives the results of, of uh, unification. So let's pause.